You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.Church. Well, good morning, everyone. Excited to be together, excited to continue our series this morning. Um, Before I do, I've got to fix this because it fell completely out when I was walking up here, so... Go ahead and and do that. And while I do that, let me just say hello to everyone on the live stream as well. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard, and we're so grateful for everyone who's gathered in person. We're so grateful for you online as well. And our hope and prayer is that you feel part of our church um, and connected with what God is doing in our midst today as well. How about uh, how about starting with a little celebration? Celebration is always good. Our youth, the teenagers in our church, they're about to go on their first international missions trip in a number of years. We used to do this long ago, but we're getting back into the groove of this, hopefully on an annual basis. And last week, you, as in y'all, as in our church, bought over $4,000 worth of cookies. Um. I don't know like the ratio on dollar per cookie, but that sounds like a lot of cookies to me. Um, But here's what happens when you give generously like that. Uh, Eight or nine of our students, about a third of their trip is, is paid for because of that fundraiser. And the beauty of that is that more and more kids can catch the vision for going on these trips in the future because they don't feel out of reach financially because the church is coming around them and supporting them and launching them into these moments. And I hope you realize that international mission trips like this, they're, they're, they're beautiful for so many reasons, but as I look at the teenagers of our church, they're beautiful for our kids because they serve as catalytic moments in their faith, right? And, and much of our discipleship happens through kind of the left foot, right foot marching and following God, but we all need these big catalytic moments where something is out of context and we, we get removed from our, our screens and our devices and our local towns and we get into the world around us and our worldview expands and we encounter God in different places. And so I'm so thankful that we are a church that believes in that and I'm so thankful for your generosity because um, it makes stuff like that happen. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, today we are finishing our series on knowing God's will. If you missed last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back online to check that out because both of these messages, they really work together one after the other. And of course, last week I talked about how most of your calling, we all spend a lot of time and energy trying to discern God's will for our life, but most of your calling is summarized by these two words that Jesus famously spoke, the words, follow me. That 90% of knowing God's will in your life will take care of itself when you make a decision to follow Christ and you make continual decisions to follow him throughout your life. 90% of your calling, God's will for your life, will be satisfied if you can lean in to that two-word invitation to follow him. But if you're good at math like I am, that still leaves 10%. And we're very interested in that 10%, aren't we? 
We're very interested in what God is speaking to me personally or what he has for me today or what he has for me tomorrow. And of course, many of us, we all want to know what that last 10% is. And I'm just going to let you know on the front end of this message so all the expectations are clear that I'm not actually going to tell you what you should eat for lunch or do tomorrow or do for the rest of your life. And if you came today seeking those answers, you're gonna be a little annoyed with me you're gonna be kind of bummed out because what we're talking about today isn't what you are supposed to do with the rest of your life, but it's gonna be more about how you can follow God through that journey. You know, knowing and discerning God's will, it's a lot more like the old elementary assignment, connect the dots, than it is anything else. You put a few pieces together and then after a while, you can zoom out and kind of gain perspective of what God is doing in your life. And the reality is, you know, when you look at these scriptures, whether they were written 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago, they were written in a different way than we read them today. And this is the difference between Hebrew culture and maybe an American or a westernized culture, right? We, when you and I, when we read these scriptures, at least a large percentage of us will read these scriptures and will ask some kind of question like, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? And that's not a bad way to read scripture. I'm just letting you know that that's not all how these scriptures were written. They weren't like necessarily written about how this truth about God will apply to me as an individual. There are moments like that, absolutely. And we can approach scripture that way, but we need to have a very broad understanding that they were a collective society and that they were way more interested in who God was than what they would do for a living way more interested in who God was, what his character and attributes were than maybe what they were going to do for a vocation. Because again, the reality is like 2,000 years ago, if your dad was a carpenter, there was a pretty good odds that you were gonna be a carpenter too. If your parents were shepherds or farmers, the, the chances were really high that, that you wouldn't ask a question, God, what do you want me to do with my life? You would say, God, how can I be a, a good shepherd like my father? How can I carry on the line, right? And no one really got called into ministry back in the Hebrew culture because you were born into it. There's a, there's a tribe and a family in the Old Testament called the Levites. And if you were born into the Levite family, you were probably gonna work in the temple, either assisting in the temple or you were gonna be a priest. And so no one had to really discern kind of individualized vocational calling when a lot of these scriptures were written. Again, it doesn't mean that we should not ask those questions today. We just have to understand there's like no passage with your name written on it. And, and when I'm in my office or when I'm working from home, when I'm praying through the scriptures and asking God how he wants to speak to us, I don't actually think about writing this message for you. And I know that's gonna break some of your hearts. I do really love you, but this is a big church and I have to speak to the whole church and everyone online. I don't write individualized messages for individual people in our church. It would be inappropriate, right? That would be inappropriate. But God does speak to you through these messages. You know, I, I think one of the, one of the struggles, even if 90% of our calling is figured out by answering that invitation to follow Christ, we still struggle with the same last 10% because the reality is we still have endless amounts of options before us, right? I mean, sky's the limit is a real phrase that we can use. And when you graduate high school, when you graduate college, or, or when you move from job to job, or when you enter into retirement, the truth is there's still endless amounts of opportunities that go before you. And it can be really hard. It can be overwhelming to pick what's next. It reminds me a lot about the first time Natalie and I picked out colors for our kitchen when we first got married. <laughs> we went to Home Depot and we stood before the wall of thousands of different colors 
right? You guys, some of you know this. Natalie was in heaven. She loved this. She was like holding up all the different colors and trying to find which shade might work. I instantly got overwhelmed and started to feel anxiety all through my body. I had no idea how many colors of white there were. There was cotton white, there's linen white, there's polar bear white, there's ivory white, and then you pick up one and it says true white, which really confuses you about all the other whites that you just saw. I, I remember just interrupting the whole scene and just saying, Natalie, I, I can't tell you, I, I'm getting anxious. I'm gonna go over by the plants. I'm going over by the plants. Let's make a deal. You pick out three colors you really like. And then come and find me by the plants and then we'll pick a winner out of those three. Take it from 3,000 to three and that's when I find my sweet spot. (laughs) But 3,000 options is just too many for me. Now, thankfully, discerning and and knowing God's will, it, it is a bit different than staring at the wall of colors in Home Depot, but there, there's some truth to that. Like, where do I go? What job do I apply for? I just got accepted to five schools. Now, which one do I pick? And there's still all of these options that stand before us. That's the analogy of connecting the dots. Sometimes you just need to be faithful to follow in the little things, trusting that as you connect dot to dot to dot, Eventually, you can zoom out and you can begin to see patterns. You can begin to see how God's speaking to you and other people will come around you and identify these same things. And all of a sudden, you're becoming more and more aware of what he's inviting you into in your life. The reality is, is as we're connecting the dots, we've all been called to something. We've all been called to something and God has a purpose for each and every one of us. The truth is he probably has multiple purposes and multiple callings over your life. Ephesians 2.10 is one of my favorite verses for this. This is the verse that we just spent last month memorizing with our family, with our little kids. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we have been created, for, excuse me, for we are God's masterpiece. See, I, I, I said I was going to memorize it. My kids are going to, they're going to call me out on it later. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so you can do the good things that he has planned for you long ago. Now, looking at that verse, some of us feel instant pushback on that first phrase because we don't quite feel like God's masterpiece. And we're going to have to wrestle that one down because God's truth is the best kind of truth. And he calls you his masterpiece. And if you don't believe that, then every Sunday when we gather here at the vineyard, we have time for ministry and prayer. The prayer team is always in the back of the room there. And if you struggle to believe and understand that you are God's masterpiece, then I want you to hold that thought. And when we move to prayer and ministry time, I want you to go back and get prayer and ask God to plant something deep within your heart that will never be stolen from you. Because this truth will help you follow God the rest of your life, that you are his masterpiece. And at the same time, as you read the rest of that passage, it teaches us that you were created for good things. That you were created for things that were planned long ago. And it's our job as believers, it's our job as followers of Christ to know God's will, to discern his will, to sit with him, to ask him what he has for us, and then to put action behind what we feel like he's saying to us, to put action to those invitations. But as we discover God's will, we have to remember that we're dealing with a couple of different things when we begin asking what God has for us, context and calling. 
Context and calling. We have to remember that context and calling are two different things. Right? That where you work, where you live, where you play, that's, that's the context. That's the, the playground that you're playing in, but that's different or at least not always the same as your calling. That context and calling are often different. Another way to say it would be that your vocation and your purpose are often different. And sometimes they're the same, and that's really beautiful when they line up perfectly like that. But oftentimes your calling is actually played out in a context. They're not the same thing. And contexts change more easily over time compared to callings. Are you tracking with me on that? For me, when I was 19 years old, I feel like I received an undeniable call from God to lead people to Jesus. And if you know my story, you know that there was a whole bunch of heartache and a whole bunch of pain and a whole bunch of addiction that that led me to that point. But when I was 19, I felt like God told me, Jeff, you've been leading people to darkness, and now I want you to lead people to me. I gave my life to Christ for the very first time that night, and I felt called for the rest of my life to lead people to Jesus. But if you fast forward 10 years to when I was actually trying to live out that calling, can you guess what I was doing? Because I wasn't... Ten years after that calling, I wasn't preaching, I wasn't pastoring, and I wasn't leading a nonprofit. We had been in ministry for a time and a season, but God had called Natalie and I out of ministry and into corporate America. Natalie was working for a pottery barn, and I worked for Pella Corporation, the best windows and doors on God's green earth. I wasn't preaching, I wasn't pastoring, I, 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 wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't working at a local church, but that calling never left me and I found an amazing job at Pella Corporation. I loved it, I loved my job. I can still walk into homes today and spot our architect series window from across the room. That was our, that was, those were our good ones. I can still, still spot a designer series window, right? You know the windows, they're triple pane, and that third pane, it opens up. And you can put blinds and shades in there. You can even accessorize and change the colors, and you can close it. And the thing that's beautiful about these shades is like the dogs will never chew them. The dogs will never bite them. You'll never have to dust these things again. Can you imagine cleaning your house and never having to dust your blinds ever again? Listen. <clears throat> Listen. Hey. I'm only getting started, okay? You wanna talk about drafts? You wanna talk about utility bills? Imagine with me if we had a master professional replace all of your doors and windows and you started saving, I don't know, maybe 100, 150 bucks a month in utilities. I bet we could come up pretty quickly with how we would spend an extra $100 a month, couldn't we? I mean, I know, I could, I could start dreaming real fast. Or the next time it rains, you don't have to rush over to get the, wind, uh, the towels to plug up the windows, wondering if the water's coming in and destroying all the wood under that window. Because then a, then a small problem turns into a big problem. Let's just solve that problem right now. And listen, I don't have to tell you, but Pella doors and windows, they're made in small town Iowa. That's where I went to college. That's where my wife and I met. I've seen the factory. I've seen the workers. And I can tell you firsthand what happens when you buy American-made products. So if this doesn't work out, I'm calling Pella again, okay? But it was, listen, I felt my call when I was 19 and 10 years later, I wasn't doing any of this. I was selling doors and windows and and truthfully, I loved it. I loved it. My context had changed, but the calling never changed. 
The calling never changed. I was still leading people to Jesus. That's what God called me to be. That's who he called me to be. That's what he was creating. What's what he created me for? And so what I did was that I, I built relationships with all the people I worked with on the clock so that off the clock I could share my faith with them. And I honored God by caring for the families that invited me into their home. And, and, I, and I tried to always connect them with the best product that they wanted, not trying to give them something they didn't need, but really walking that life out with integrity. I fixed problems when I found them. I thanked people when they, when they worked with me. I, I honored, I asked God to bless me with wisdom so that I would know how to interact with people. I asked God for provision so that I could provide for my family. All of those things were true, but the calling never changed. It just looked different because I was in a different context. If you want to know God's will for your life, you need to focus on the calling, not the context. Focus on who he's created you to become, not what you're doing in your day today. Those things have a way of working themselves out if you focus on who he's created you to be. Ask God for a Bible verse or two, maybe two or three that that could be like life verses for you that you can memorize and and hide in your heart that will help define who you're created to be and how you're created to function in the world around you. These life verses will serve like a a compass for you so that when the wind and waves of, of our life naturally come your way, you are grounded and rooted in God's truth over who he's called you to be. Your calling likely will not change. There may be a couple in your life, but truthfully, your context will often pivot from space to space and time to time. Calling over context is so important because if your identity is in your context, you're going to be really insecure when that gets shaken. You're going to be really insecure when that gets rattled. And so secure your identity in Christ, your calling, and the context will work its way out. But there are, there are a few cautionary tales that I want to talk about this morning as well. There are three things that I've identified in the lives of people that I've pastored and the people that I've walked with over the years that do impact our ability to know God's will in our life. And I do want to, I want to finish the rest of our time this morning by talking about the three things that will kind of keep you from knowing God's will. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's definitely the ones that eat up the, ho- the highest amount of percentage in terms of the lives that I've seen. So let's start with number one. What keeps you from knowing God's will? And I would say number one is unhealthy patterns. Unhealthy patterns. And people don't like to talk about this kind of stuff very much right now, but the reality is that consistent and unhealthy patterns in your life will keep you from knowing God's will over the long haul. Open rebellion to God and patterns of sin, they'll impact your ability to hear God's voice. And sin's not a very popular topic right now, but truthfully, can we just be honest with ourselves? Most of the reasons we don't like talking about sin is because we don't like being told that we're doing something wrong and it needs to change, right? I mean, this is like, this is like a real thing. We don't actually like being called out on things, and I'm not going to call you out on things. I'll just allow the Lord to do that for you as I share. But the reality is if you continue to partner with evil, it's really hard to partner with holiness. It's really hard to walk that out. 
And there are other unhealthy patterns in our lives too that don't include sinfulness, but they're just like unhealthy patterns that show up in our life time and time again. Maybe it's uh, brokenness or you're dealing with pain from your history or there's a fair amount of bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart or, or even some unhealthy emotions. And, and we deal with these kind of unhealthy patterns differently than we deal with sin because they're two different kinds of categories, but both of them need to be addressed. It's a big deal. That's why Natalie leads classes every fall on emotionally healthy spirituality and every spring on emotionally healthy relationships because spiritual health and emotional health, they tend to grow together. And we don't want to create ceilings in our lives because of unhealthy patterns in our hearts. Romans 12.2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That sounds like a good life application right there, doesn't it? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't allow these unhealthy patterns to be unruly in your own life. Instead, allow God to transform you. Transform the way you think so that you can know and discern God's perfect and pleasing will. Part of knowing God's will does require an ongoing and continual transformation of our hearts with God. And it's out of these unhealthy patterns and into the light and life of Jesus Christ. Unhealthy patterns will derail you. The second thing that I want to talk about and what keeps you from knowing God's will is isolation from community. It's isolation from community. Unhealthy patterns create unhealthy decisions, and isolation from community and your church family will lead to all kinds of missteps. Without godly community, you are selling yourself short on the fullness of God's calling over your life. We like to think that we can just be a John Wayne in the kingdom of God, and we can step out on our own and accomplish all of these things, but the fruit of that is isolation and personal self-glory if you succeed or a lot of shame and insecurity if you fail. But when you stay connected to the family of God and you can walk our calling out together, this is when we begin to discover the fullness of who God has for us. I, I, have, a, I have a piece of information that I've been waiting all week to share with you. This is going to be earth-shattering for many of you. Some of you are picking up on my undertones of sarcasm here. No, this is, this, is, this is important for us to recognize, though, okay? Here's the truth for you. Co-discernment, the process of discovering God's will together, co-discernment, it actually requires other humans. <laughs> co-discernment requires being in community and wrestling through what God is speaking to us and relying on one another. You need people. You need other humans in your life who know how to pray who know how to hear from God, who know how to discern God's calling in your life. See, we're all designed to make a personal decision to follow Christ for the rest of our life. But once you make that decision, you're not called to live that out on your own. You're called to live that out together in the body of Christ. And the beauty of a small group, especially a small group that knows you well and you've done a really good job of sharing authentic life with and, and sharing the deepest parts of your heart and the, the biggest dreams of your life, the beauty of those groups is that you can show up to a small group like that and you can share what you think God is inviting you to do and you can say, will you enter into a discernment process with me? Will you pray for me about this? So many of us, we like, we like quit a job and we just hope that we heard from the Lord on our own. 
Or, or we have all these schools that are out before us and they all have accepted us and now we're about to make a really big decision that's not gonna just impact the next four years of our life, but they're gonna impact relationships and, and career trajectories and all kinds of things. And we make a decision and we just hope God blesses it on the tail end. Or, or, or we step into really big life-altering moments, like if I'm gonna move from this city to that city, or if I'm gonna step into fostering, or if I'm gonna adopt a child, or if I feel called into ministry. Some of you may feel called into ministry. And these decisions, they're, they're just less than best if we make them all alone. You are called into a family of God where we can discern together his will for your life. Co-discernment, it functions like guardrails on the highway for you, where you're traveling down life and co-discernment keeps you from bouncing too far or going off-road. You have someone who really loves you and really cares for you and knows who God has created you to be. And so when you bring something up, you can say, or you can hear from them, you know, six months ago, you had me praying about this. I'm not sure how these fit together. Or that seems to really make sense. I'm going to keep praying about that. But a year ago, you said that, that God was speaking to you about this. And I wonder if this is just a continuation of what he's already been doing. See, we can come together and we can support one another. We can even sharpen each other and correct one another and make sure we don't go off the rails. Co-discernment requires other humans. And isolation will hurt your decision making process. Last one of these three that I want to share today. What keeps you from knowing God's will? It's unhealthy patterns. It's isolation from community, and it's testing God. It's testing God. Jesus, you know, when he was tempted in the desert, he rebuked Satan. He said, you shouldn't test God. This is Luke 4. Testing God, this is a harder one to explain in a short amount of time because I don't have time to go through 50 verses with you. So what I want to do is I want to share you kind of an arc idea that's seen throughout scripture with you. This is going to be a little bible for you, so just hang with me for a minute, okay? So we're going to start in the Old Testament. If you look at the Old Testament, God did things a little bit differently in the Old Testament. And one of the main reasons why he functioned a little bit differently in the Old Testament is because his spirit was only resting on a few people and in a few places, like the tabernacle or the temple or on a few anointed leaders of Israel. It was, it was select, okay? And so because of that, they had a harder time discerning and knowing God's will. And so Frequently, what they would do is they would get together and they would cast sacred lots, asking God to speak to them through the casting of lots. And it's really strange. You read these passages in the Old Testament because God actually blessed it time, from time to time. You know, and it's, it's very similar to like drawing straws or flipping a coin and saying, heads this way, God, that tails that way. Or literally throwing dice and, and assigning different answers to different numbers that would pop up on a dice. It was, it was a game of chance that they asked God to interact with and bless. And here's the crazy thing. God blessed it and spoke to his people that way. There's even this man named Gideon who tested God in this really dramatic way. God called him to do something really powerful and dramatic. And Gideon said, God, if this is really you, I'm going to go to bed and I want you to do this when I fall asleep. And then when I wake up, I'll know it's you. And so Gideon went to bed and God did it. God spoke to him that way. And Gideon goes, ah, I don't know if it's really you. Now I want you to do it the opposite way. Then I'll really know it's you. And so Gideon went to bed again and he woke up and God blessed it that way again. God took the, the inadequate faith of this man named Gideon and he worked with him anyway. He blessed him anyway. Isn't that so relieving for us today? 
He blessed them anyway. But here's the really fascinating thing, right? We sometimes take these ideas and these concepts from the Old Testament and we say that they're the rule for us today, and that's not the case. That's not the case because after Jesus, this miraculous thing happened after his death and resurrection. It's called Pentecost. We're celebrating that next week when God poured out his spirit on all flesh. It's not isolated to certain people in certain ways and in certain spaces anymore. Now scripture tells us that after Pentecost, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh, men and women alike, young and old, Greek and Hebrew. We all have been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit as followers of Christ living within us and so as every other believer in this room. Now, the beauty of that is now we can eat together and we can pray together and we can share together and we can discern together because God's speaking to you in the same way that he's speaking to me. That everybody gets to play in the kingdom of God now. It's not just isolated to a few certain spots. Now, this has changed how we discern. Our discernment process can be way more pinpointed. We can have way more accuracy because we're not leaving up the will of God to some game of chance that we ask God to bless. Now we can actually talk with the Lord and, and hear from him on our life. Things dramatically changed after God. And the other thing is that one of, one of the problems when you test God and you say, like, if, if I do this, then God, I need you to do this, or God, if you do this, then I'll do this, is that we have to realize that there's an enemy on the field that wants to mess with your discernment process. There really is. There's an enemy that would like to steal, kill, and destroy God's will over your life just as much as God would like to give it to you. And Satan will try to confuse you. One of the ways that he does this is by what we call the pastoral team, and, and, and really not just our team. I mean, many have written about this. It's called the attractive alternative. The attractive alternative, that you're asking God to speak to you, you're asking God to show you his will, and the moment you step out in faith, and the moment you start to follow him and start to walk with him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the same time that the enemy will come and give you an attractive alternative. And now all of a sudden, what seemed like a straight and narrow road, now you're standing at a fork in the road. And one feels pretty good, and the other is God's will. And isn't it nice when... God's will also feels really good, but it doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always work that way. Remember when I worked for Pella Doors and Windows? I'm going to loop. I'm not going to sell you anything, okay? But I'm going to loop this back around because when I worked for Pella Doors and Windows, um, both Natalie and I knew we weren't called to that context forever. We did feel like we were called back into full-time ministry. And so as I worked for Pella Doors and Windows, again, the best doors and windows that you can buy on this earth, we started to discern God might be calling us to a different context, particularly to start working at a local church. And so that's what we started praying about. And after a while, we felt like it was time to jump back in. We felt like it was time to probably move on from Pella and jump into the local church context. And wouldn't you know that there is always an unpaid internship for you at a local church just around the corner? There, there really is. So at the ripe age of 30 years old with two kids and thoughts of another on the way, we found an unpaid internship halfway across the country. And so we put all our belongings in a car, which wasn't very much. We put our two kids next to each other, our two oldest, and we drove to Maine to live in someone's basement and allow them to feed us and to live on what savings that we created through Pella and live as ministers in training in Maine, where, by the way, in winter, it's dark at like 3.30 in the afternoon. 
It was the call of God. That's all I can say. <laughs> but we knew it was God. We knew it was God. So the cost, it never really bothered us because we knew God was leading us in that direction. So what I did was I called my sales manager and I said, hey, uh, our, my time with Pella has come to an end. We feel called back into full-time ministry. He knew I was a believer. He knew that this day may eventually come. And I just told him, I, I think uh, this season's coming to a close. And he said, give me 24 hours. I'm going to call you back. So we hung up and 24 hours later, he called me. This was the beginning of an attractive alternative because we felt like we knew where God was asking us to go. He called me. He said, Jeff, I've talked with uh, the company. You've been a great employee. We're going to offer you $30,000 bonus to stay. $30,000 to stay. Now, time out for a second. I had never made $30,000 in a year in my entire life. Our whole 20s were spent paycheck to paycheck. We started a nonprofit. There were some months we made 500 bucks a month. That's what we did. And now I was getting offered 30 grand to stay. Not only that, I was working on the biggest sale in Pella Corporation history, a mansion full of mahogany doors and windows. For real. It was gonna, I was going to go down in company history. They were going to make a plaque with my name on it. The commission on that sale would have been another $30,000 on top of the bonus. It would have been ridiculous. And this is what's really tricky, right? You don't think Natalie and I weren't praying to provide for us on this next step? Of course we were. We, of course we were asking God, if you're calling us to this, we just want you to provide for us. We want to be able to feed our kids. Times have changed a little bit. We just want to be able to put mouths in our baby or food in our baby's mouths. Please, Lord, will you provide for us? And then all of a sudden you get a phone call, 30 grand to stay. And he said, you know what? The internship will be there for you in January. Just ride this out until the end of the year. Take the bonus, take your commissions and start that at the end of the year. He said, Jeff, you're a praying man. He meant it honestly and earnestly. He said, you're a praying man, just pray about it. So I said, okay, I will. I will pray about it. I hung up the phone and I kid you not, I heard from the Lord right away. It wasn't an audible voice, but it, it might as well have been because it was so clear in my mind and so clear in my heart. I heard the Lord lay this verse on my mind. He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is for the kingdom. I've asked you to go. Are you going to look back and wonder what's over here? I picked up the phone right away and I called him back and I said, I prayed about it. And I quit. I hung up the phone and we started packing our bags. And we went out to Maine and that led on a connect the dots series of following God ultimately to here. Now listen, my story is very different than your story. We have different stories. And sometimes God uses money as a way to bless you and provide for you and as a way to answer a question about discerning what he's asking you to go. And, and sometimes money is a temptation from Satan. The reality is it, it could be both. You, that's why my story isn't your story and your story isn't mine story. The context and the details are all going to be different. The reality is what, what I want you to catch in this story is that we have to be really careful how we ask God questions and we have to be really careful how we pray to him because if you change your prayers, just even in subtle ways, you're going to respond to the call of God differently. Imagine if our prayer would have been, God will go if you provide for us. Imagine how we might have answered the $30,000 bonus if our prayer would have been, God will go if you provide for us. 
That wasn't our prayer though. Our prayer was, God, we'll go and do whatever you ask us to do. What do you have for us? You see how simple, I mean, it's not a lot of difference in those prayers. The words aren't that different, but the posture of your heart couldn't be any more different because one is an if-then transactional relationship with God and one is, Lord, do with me what you will. I'll go with you, I'll go with you wherever you take me. And when we follow God, and when we seek his will, and we try to discern his will over our life, and we attach all these clauses to it, sometimes we'll miss his voice. The beautiful thing, though, about following God is that it doesn't matter how many mistakes you make, and it doesn't matter how far along you are on that road, he is the master at restoring all things. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, see, I knew it, I've made too many mistakes, I'm no longer God's masterpiece, I've strung too many bad decisions in a row. No, listen, God is the master at redeeming all things. He is the master at restoring relationships and things that were lost. And he is the master at putting you back on the path. But you're gonna have another decision. You're going to reach a fork in the road again in your life and allow your history to teach you about the future. Allow your history with God to inform how you follow him tomorrow. Asking him, Lord, what do you have for me today? You are God's masterpiece. Created a new in Christ Jesus for the good works that he has planned for you long ago. May that be all of our prayers. May we stand before him, discerning his will, seeking his will for our life, ready to follow wherever he leads us wherever he leads us. Let's pray.